0: Hello there. And welcome to a brand new episode of my podcast, Podcast Racing. So Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 has come out, and based on the title of this episode, you know that I have officially made the decision to take a break or possibly just stop watching, period, anything from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the reason for that decision is because most of Phase 4 and Phase 5 so far have delivered increasingly frustrating and mediocre movies-slash-shows that have significantly dwindled my interest in following this franchise. I just, I feel like I need to move on and seek out more original and creative content, so I am going to stop watching MCU stuff for a little while. I have no idea how long I'm going to, again, it could be that I'll never watch an MCU thing again or, you know, I'll just I'll come back in a few years or so. I will watch other Marvel stuff that will interest me like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Stuff that, you know, like other studios make under a Marvel label that could be interesting. I also will watch Loki and What If because those take place in separate timelines. But currently, I have no plans to see... The Marvels, Secret Invasion, Blade, Deadpool 3, or even Daredevil Born Again, after hearing that Foggy and Karen will not be in Daredevil Born Again, after I specifically said that I needed to see them in Born Again, I'm just not going to watch that show. I have little to no faith that any MCU stuff going forward will be anything other than soulless Cash grab properties to line up the pockets of greedy Disney and Marvel executives. So yeah, I'm just going to stop Forgive me if I sound a little too harsh, but I do consider myself a fan of the MCU overall I do really commend Kevin Feige and the people in Marvel for even being able to achieve this seemingly impossible feat of crafting a cohesive cinematic universe. So I Commend them for doing it in the first place, but I feel like they've kind of lost their way a little bit. So I just, I need to watch more creatively and psychologically fulfilling media. Since I knew that I was going to stop watching MCU stuff after Guardians Volume 3, I decided to re-watch all 31 films that have come out before and rank them from worst to best. I did not, I am not going to be ranking any of the Disney Plus shows or specials, but if you're interested in what, in where, excuse me, where I would rank them, then there will be a link in the description below of the full list of all 40-plus stuff that have come out of the MCU so far, how I rank them. I'm also not going to be ranking them in a typical list order from number 32 to number 1. I'm actually going to split The movies up into four different categories the four categories that i'm listing them into are called banish them which are films that are absolutely horrible just never want to think about again never want to see again not for me films that i didn't really enjoy but i can see why other people would like them and they do have at least a few good stuff in them that they That the filmmakers were able to pull off well. Rewatchable category will be films that I really enjoy and will gladly watch again. Maybe not like all the time, but you know, just if I'm over at a friend's house and they want to say that they want to rewatch this certain MCU movie, then I'll be like, yeah, sure. And then the last category I have decided to lovingly call Martin Scorsese. And the reason why I'm calling the highest category Martin Scorsese is because in this category the movies here are special to me. I will always love them and do consider them to be true, thought-provoking cinema and not just simple theme park ride movies as Scorsese claims all the Marvel movies to be. I am going to be talking about all these movies by myself today. And I previously did say that I was never going to make another episode of Podcast Racing by myself. But considering that we're dealing with 32 whole movies here, I felt like this one I need to do by myself. But this is going to be the last time that I'm ever going to make a podcast episode by myself. Everything going forward will be with other people. It's just more fun to talk about whole variety of topics with other people, especially people who might not fully agree with me. All right, well, that's a long enough intro. Let's delve into these 32 movies. All right, let's start off with the first category, Banish Them. These are the movies that I personally really, really don't like. These are among my least favorite superhero movies of all time. I never want to see these movies again, and I never even want to think about them again. So, I know I said in the intro that I wasn't going to be traditionally ranking them, but I have to get my least favorite MCU movies out of the way first. And unfortunately, both of them are Thor movies. Thor The Dark World and Thor Love and Thunder. Both of these movies I despise, but for very different reasons. Thor The Dark World had an infamously troubled production, And so what I'm about to say might sound harsh, you know, you might say like, Oh, you know, what's it, you got to forgive this movie, you know, like it's not its fault. You know, like I usually, I don't like to put like real life stuff into account usually when it comes into the quality of a movie. You know, sometimes depending on the context of the real life situation, I can make an exception, but you know, it's not like anyone, severely got hurt or, you know, anyone died, you know, making the, the, the Thor love and Dun sorry, Thor, the dark world. So a lot of the issues I have with it, you know, some people can forgive mainly due to its trouble production because they know the context of all that stuff. But to me, it's not so bad, like the real life, the real life, uh, trouble production behind Thor Dark World is not so bad where I can forgive the flaws of this movie. Basically, this movie is just so boring and so bland. And it's almost like, it's almost trying to insist that it's cool, but it's not. Like, I, I just really just did not, I was so bored. This, Thor The Dark World is the only movie in this entire list where I fell asleep. I fell asleep a couple of times while watching it, and had to rewind. It's just so, so bland, and there's very little redeeming qualities about it. There's The humor is awful, especially Darcy. Darcy. I never liked Darcy, but she is at her most annoying in this movie. The only joke that made me laugh is the part where they're visiting Jane or Dr. Selvig's apartment I don't even remember but Thor he hangs his hammer on the coat rack that's actually pretty funny but everything else about the movie aside from Loki Loki you know Tom Hiddleston God bless him he is the only good part about this movie he's the only actor that looks like he actually wants to be there on set poor Idris Elba Idris Elba in an interview he said that a few months ago I was doing the playing Nelson Mandela and now I'm in a stupid green screen room hanging on the side of some spaceship. (laughs) Yeah, I feel you, buddy. Oh, man. But, and unfortunately, things would not get better for that actor or that character even in later movies. But I just, I really just don't like this movie. And there's nothing to say about it. Like, there's nothing about it that's consequential to the rest of the MCU. It doesn't help set up Thanos. It doesn't have an interesting story, it doesn't have good humor. There's just really almost nothing to like about it. Now, my other easily least favorite MCU movie, Thor Love and Thunder. Oh boy. So, after Ragnarok, I was super into Taika Waititi. You know, I watched all of his other movies. I was so into, you know, his style, his humor, his style. Uh, I was so, so looking forward to this Thor Love and Thunder. Basically, the two Marvel movies that were announced that were coming out, you know, post-COVID or like rather in the 2020s Phase 4. The two movies that I was easily looking forward to the most were Eternals by Chloe Zhao, which i will get into later. And Thor Love and Thunder. After Ragnarok, I thought, there's no way... That Thor Love and Thunder can be bad. It's going to be it's going to be one of the best MCU. Nope It's not one of the best MCU movies. It is trash. It is awful. The The difference between Thor the Dark World and Thor Love and Thunder is that in Thor Love and Thunder There are maybe four or five jokes that got a chuckle out of me but those jokes are not as funny as the coat hanging Mjolnir on the coat rack joke in Dark World, like the the jokes in Thor: Love and Thunder that do work, are cute, but those jokes make up for about two three percent of the humor of this movie. The other gazillion jokes do not land at all. Most of them are tonal killers, and it it started out well though. This movie it that that beginning scene with. Gore, his daughter dying, and in him, you know, like, wielding the necromancer and vowing to kill all gods. Aside from some dodgy CGI and bad editing, that scene was great. Christian Bale was really bringing his all. And then he, he's just a big mustache, mustache-twirling mustache bad guy for the rest of the movie. And it's just, this this movie is just so frustrating. That's a big difference between... Dark World and Love and Thunder, is that Dark World is agonizingly boring. Love and Thunder is frustratingly frustrating. It's just so annoying, it's so aggressive in how irritating it is and how I get angry watching it. I'm like, just how was this script approved? Like how... Was the CGI approved? I mean, and that's a flaw even for some of the good MCU movies from Phase 4. Is that the CGI and all of them are bad at times. Like, oof. But, yeah, just... just, There's so many things wrong with Love and Thunder. And I can't decide. I can't decide which I dislike more. Dark World or Love and Thunder. Both movies do not portray Thor very well. Both movies, I never want to think about again. Both movies are my least favorite, but I can't decide which one is worse and I really don't want to do a high right now, so I'm gonna to have to decide right now which one is my objective or not objective, subjective, least favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. I initially thought that I would rather feel just any feeling than no feelings. Basically, with Dark World, I feel nothing while watching a movie except for annoyance whenever Darcy is on screen. But with Love and Thunder, I feel anger. I feel frustrated. And usually, usually I prefer... Like, if I'm going to compare two bad movies, I prefer the movie that makes me feel something, even if that feeling is anger, over feeling just hollow, feeling empty after watching it. But, I think this will be the exception. I think that Love and Thunder is my least favorite MCU movie, but a very close second is Dark World. Gosh, no wonder Chris Hemsworth doesn't want to be in these movies anymore. Oh, wham. I do hope he's doing well, though, you know, with his uh, Alzheimer's, potential Alzheimer's diagnosis and all that, but uh, moving on from Thor to Snore Eternals. <laughs> that was really a really bad transition. Okay, so I mentioned before that Eternals, along with Thor Love and Thunder, was my most anticipated MCU movie from Phase 4. I love Nomadlands. I love the writer. I really like all of Chloe Zhao's movies that I've seen. Basically, I think she's a great director. So what happens? Even when I first watched this movie, I, re- I vividly remember watching this movie, going into the theater. I had read the Rotten Tomatoes reviews before, and I saw how bad they were, both from critics and audiences. But I was thinking, okay, maybe I'll like it. You know, maybe the critics are wrong. Unfortunately, I don't think they're wrong. Like, even when I first saw it, I thought it was just okay. I gave it some goodwill, but re-watching it, I was astonished at how bad the acting was. Well, okay, some of them were very good, but I was astonished at how poorly these these interesting concepts are being executed. This movie is conceptually interesting, but I think... It's just the execution was just so flawed like good ideas are sprinkled in But then just either just disregarded almost immediately or just it's just a very kindergarten level explanation or delving into these interesting themes Man, and these characters are so boring. I only like a couple of them the the visuals are cool. I think that Chloe Zhao knows what she's doing visually behind the camera. I think CGI is kind of iffy at times, but cinematography, lighting, all that, very very good. Very good. I could tell that they shot a lot of this practically, and I think it it still looks really pretty. It's a really it's one of the prettiest Marvel movies, but it's also one of the movies where there's just really no point to watching it, and especially since it seems like Marvel is now trying to pretend it never existed, which is embarrassing. And initially, Kevin Feige said that this is a Marvel movie that would win him the Oscar for Best Picture. Eternals. This jumbled, ambitious, overly ambitious mess. And there is definitely an aspect of too little, too late. Like, why introduce new characters so late into the MCU, you know? So, yeah, I I really have no faith for, like, Blade or many of the other MCU projects that are introducing new characters after this just completely just fumbled the bag. Now, let's go back in time to one of the first MCU movies, The Incredible Hulk. Oh, boy. The Incredible Hulk is an interesting one to talk about. Because it's arguably the most forgettable MCU movie because it has an actor who got replaced. You know, Edward Norton. I like Mark Ruffalo much better than Edward Norton. Not just as an actor, but as a person, so I'm a little biased there. Edward Norton isn't doing a bad job, but, you know, he has to deliver lines from this bad script... And there's just no depth behind the villains at all. There's no depth really behind anything. There's a couple of cool kind of emotional scenes between Bruce and Betty. But Liv Tyler is so, so bad in this movie. Like, I have no idea. All of her energy and passion from playing Aowen in Lord of the Rings... Non-existent here. Non-existent. I've seen her be good before, but... I think even she could tell how bad the script was. This this is just, like, not a good movie. It's it's shot so generically. The CGI is terrible. And I feel a little bad for director Louis Leterrier. I think he can deliver good work. You know, like, as, we, as we've seen with that canceled uh, Dark Crystal show that was on Netflix. Oh, I wish that wasn't canceled. That was so good. I'm a little sad that Louis is... Just, you know, kind of forced to do these Fast and Furious movies now. And doing The Incredible Hulk, I just... Yeah, there's just not much to say. There's just, like, with a lot of the Banish Them movies, there's just not much to say. And the execution is just so flawed. Now, some people might think that I'm being too harsh in these movies. And true. It is true. That's compared to some of the worst superhero movies of all time like X-Men Origins Wolverine, excuse me, like the Halle Berry Catwoman movie, or like, I don't know, Blade Trinity. Compared to those abominations of cinema, these movies are masterpieces in comparison. Even Thor Love and Thunder is so much better than Origins Wolverine or, I don't even know, like... Catwoman or just Ben Affleck's Daredevil movie, you know, like I Maybe I am being too harsh, but just in the moment watching these movies. It was just so frustrating and All of these movies I've only seen twice Like Thor the Dark World, Love and Thunder, Eternals and Incredible Hulk. All of them. I only saw once some of these you know in theaters And then, never cared to see them again until now, preparing for this ranking list. And, yeah, these are just bottom of the barrel. Again, just banished them, never want to think about them again. And the last one that I want to talk about in the banished them category is one of the most recent MCU movies. Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. When I came out of the theater, And I told my friends that I did not like this movie. Okay, well not immediately after coming out of theater, but basically after watching the movie, I told my friends how much I despised this movie, and they thought, No, no, it was fun. And I mean, I I can get where they're coming from, but I completely disagree. This movie is not fun. I don't like... The first two MM movies that much anymore, but at least they had fun, good elements in them. All that works about this movie is Kang, and we might not even get Kang in the future because of who John the Majors is. Unfortunately, unfortunately, what he did, but uh, just Kang is the only thing that works about this movie. Everything else is trash. Oh my gosh, that Bill Murray cameo was painful to watch. Michelle Pfeiffer is doing her best with this terrible script. Evangeline Lilly and Michael Douglas look bored. Oh my gosh! And replacing Emma Furman, who was actually pretty good in her brief cameo as Cassie in Endgame, replacing her with Catherine Newton, who is so bad here. Disney, they really messed that up, and that was just so cruel cool. to replace her and not even tell her. Like she, like Emma Furman found out that she was not playing Cassie anymore on social media. That's bad. And Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is usually so likable. Like, he makes the creepy incest romance subplot in Clueless work because he's just so charming and he's so likable. But here, he's just... He's hes a jerk. He's a huge a-hole. And this is the only Ant-Man movie where Paul Rudd did not receive screenwriting credit or he didn't contribute to the script and... Yeah, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense why he's so unlikable here. I just, man, like, I have friends who say, you know, oh, like, this movie, you know, it wasn't that bad. It was fun. And I'm, I just, I did not have fun watching it. I, I have other friends, too, who have no interest in checking it out. And honestly, I don't blame them. I don't blame them. And all five of these movies, I just never want to think about again. And I am more than happy to move on to the next category. Oh man. Alright, so moving on to the category of Not For Me. The movies in this category are ones where I don't really like them. They range from okay to kind of bad. But there are enough good elements in them where I understand why some may like them. And I'm not going to, like, argue with anyone if if I'm at a friend's house or if I'm at a party and they want to put on one of these movies. I'm not going to be like, no, you know, like, I, I definitely don't want to do that. Like, if anyone were to suggest putting Eternals or Ant-Man Mania on, I would be like, no, absolutely not. Put on an actual good movie. But even though I don't really like the movies on this list that much, you know, I'm not going to protest if they put them on. You know, like, I, I, may, I won't really enjoy it that much, but... You know, like it, it's fine. I, I and I get it. I get it if you like these movies. And I some of the movies on this list I used to really like too. But I'm let's start I'm gonna go in chronological order here, you know, by release. So let's start with Iron Man 2. Iron Man used to be my favorite, my number one MCU movie of all time. And I mean that's kind of not not silly to say, but, but but it used to be my favorite, especially like when the MCU first happens. I mean there wasn't much competition. I mean what else you had the Edward or Incredible Hulk movie, yeah. but but I remember back in two thousand eight, I really really loved that first Iron Man movie, and I was excited to check out Iron Man two. I was like, ooh, what's gonna happen? Dumb stuff. Dumb stuff happens, basically. Yeah, this is a movie where, similar to the Banish Them category, nothing of huge consequence to the overall MCU happens. And as a standalone story, it doesn't really work either. It's just kind of a jumbled mess. There's too much going on. Gwyneth Paltrow is at her most annoying in this movie. Scarlett Johansson is there just to be eye candy and it's kind of gross and misogynistic. John Favreau put uh, I put in a scene of himself wrestling a security guard and it's shot and edited so poorly. Justin Theroux is a great actor, but I don't know if he's the best screenwriter. I'm 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 sorry. Yeah, he wrote the script for this movie and it's a bad script. But I do still like Robert Downey Jr. that scene on the rate in the race where he, you know, like Puts on the Iron Man suit and at first it's a briefcase but then he puts it on and you know it it grows and stuff it's cool. Mickey Rourke is pretty bad you know with this terrible Russian accent. Sam Rockwell similar to Paul Rudd being so unlikable in Ant-Man Quantumania. Sam Rockwell is so annoying and unlikable here. Don Cheadle is a suitable replacement. He's certainly a better actor. Than Terrence Howard, he may not have as good chemistry with Robert Downey Jr. as Terrence Howard did, but he is a better actor, in my opinion. Just Iron Man Two, it's it's just whatever. I just it's one of those movies where individual scenes I will check out again, like that part at the end where Tony and Rhodes are, you know, fighting, destroying all of the you know Mickey works. Suits, is kind of cool, the raceway scene is cool. Paul when Paul Bettany strangely just as Jarvis works for me a lot better in this one than in the other movies, even as Vision. I don't know, just like his delivery, it's just so charming to me, I can't really explain it. Iron Man 2 is just meh. Thor, the first Thor movie. Is just as well, you know. It's a decent, fine, bland, average origin story for a bland, average character who wouldn't get interesting until Ragnarok. The stuff on Asgard is cliched, but kind of cool, you know. Very obviously has its, you know, Shakespearean influences, you know, with kind of Bronok directing it, but. Once he gets to Earth, the movie gets significantly less interesting, and we have to deal with boring Natalie Portman, bored Stellan Skarsgård, and annoying Darcy. Oh my gosh, Darcy. Darcy is probably one of my least favorite characters in the MCU. She just annoys me so much. Thor works when Tom Hiddleston is being his amazing, beautiful self on screen. Chris Hemsworth isn't that bad here, but... He wouldn't get better. He, he, he The quality of his performance depends on the quality of the script. The better the script, the better he will be. Unfortunately. Not just with Thor, but with all of his performances. I, he's just... He, he's fine, and the movie is fine. I, they don't really... I don't really feel anything for the Frost Giants potentially dying. Because they don't really show them they mostly just show them as evil and so at the end when thor saves them i don't really like feel anything because like i'm thinking like he's trying so hard to save a race that was killing him and like i feel like that they could have set that up better you know set that up better where even the frost giants deserve you know to Live, you know, despite all the atrocities they've done. I feel like that could have said it better, but whatever. It's just a whatever movie. And Idris Elba as Heimdall. Heimdall's a boring character, but Idris Elba, I just... Idris Elba, I always like. Just whatever the quality of his performance is, I feel like he usually brings it. Even in bad movies like Dark World. Moving on to probably one of the most divisive movies in the MCU, Age of Ultron. I used to really like Age of Ultron, actually. But re-watching it, I was honestly shocked at how much I wasn't enjoying it. Like, how so awkwardly placed the humor was. And, and that's true for a lot of the MCU movies. Like, sometimes the humor... Gets a little grating, you know, becomes like a tonal killer, and you know, you wish that the movie would just take its story more seriously, but it, it's usually, but usually I can forgive it. But Age of Ultron, I was like, oh gosh, like this is really painfully unfunny, especially when they made James Spader say jokes. Like, you can tell that James Spader is not comfortable with humor, you know, you, you saw that in the final. Not final, sorry. Season 8 of The Office when he did a really weird, kind of bad job as Robert California. And here, like, whenever he's supposed to be just a, you know, ooh, big bad, you know, bad guy, he's, you know, he's good. But when he has to say, like, jokes, it's kind of cringy, Yeah, and this movie also, I also completely forgot that this movie sets up Wakanda. And I think it's interesting, a little strange that they go to Wakanda, but there's no mention at all about anything that would show up in Black Panther. That That's uh, that that's just a little strange to me. Like, I know that, you know, they didn't have that fully set up yet, but, like, it's just weird going... When they go to Wakanda, they're just, you know, in a port. They're just in a city. And it, like, it looks nothing like how... The amazing, beautiful production design that we would get in Black Panther later, but and whatever, but yeah, Age of Ultron is not a very good movie, but I do like Iron Man and you know, and the Hulkbuster armor fighting Hulk, the Black Widow and Hulk storyline. Actually, I used to defend that; it used to work for me, but now I yeah i I, I get it now. Like it, it doesn't doesn't work. It's Too abrupt. It hasn't been set up at all in previous movies. It just feels too forced. Hawkeye. You know, giving Hawkeye a family definitely helped him to, you know, become a bit more of a compelling character. You know, he was always just kind of boring before, but... You know, like, giving him a family, and especially making his wife Linda Carlini, you know, that that helps (laughs) to make him more interesting by giving him an attractive wife. Oh gosh, but... Yeah, Age of Ultron, there's just, I feel like despite how heavily it sets up the Infinity Stones and introduces Wanda and Vision, who I would end up really liking later, thanks to their show WandaVision. But, yeah, just this movie, it just doesn't work. And this movie basically just has some cool moments, but mainly is a movie that just sets up better stuff later on. And another movie that I used to actually really, really like is Ant-Man. Ant-Man, I used to find this movie so funny, so entertaining, but I rewatched this with my family in preparation for Quantumania. And I was shocked at how annoying, this is going to sound blasphemous, but Luis, Michael Peña's Luis got on my nerves much more often than... I remember like watching this again with my family I was like wait isn't Luis supposed to be like one of the best parts in the movie like why is he not funny the villain of course is dumb just generic evil bad guy and it's it's it was weird it's weird to see there there's that there was a new movie uh, are you there God it's me Margaret and it's it's funny to see how bad the girl, Cassie's daughter, you know, as like a six and eight year old, or how old she was when filming the anime movies. She's so like bad. And you know, like and you could say, Oh, you know, child actor, you know, like no, there are good child actors out there, so that's not an excuse. But she's so bad in that movie, and then just a few years later, in Are You There Got Me Margaret, she's great. <laughs> that, I, that, that, that's just a little, I mean, obviously, I mean, you could, you know, you could say, like, well, yeah, obviously, you know, act, child actor, you know, gets better as they get older, but I've seen the opposite, actually, like, like, Jaden Smith, Jaden Smith was really good as a kid in some performances, but just as he gets older, he just got oh God, worse to me, but yeah. Anyway, I don't. I don't even know why I brought that up. But but Ant Man. Yeah. Just I mean, I I brought that up because what else is there to talk about? Uh, the visuals look cool. Like when he shrinks down, I feel like that they could have actually utilized that more by having him shrink down in more like ordinary places instead of having this kind of generic heist movie. But whatever. I never really got into Evangeline Lilly's Wasp. She's just just Meh. Very boring character. Uh, But Ant-Man is just fine. It's just fine. It's definitely the best Ant-Man movie. Nowhere near as bad as Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp has many of the same flaws as the first Ant-Man movie. But there are also things about it that does significantly worse. The humor is worse. Ghost is just like they try to give her a compelling deep you know, emotional backstory, but I just, I feel nothing for that character, I'm sorry. I really, they wasted Walton Giggins, Goggins, sorry, Walton Goggins in this movie, he is so underutilized and not good in this movie, and uh, I, I think that's a shame, because I love Walton Giggins, but Goggins, sorry, oh my gosh, but, yeah, yeah, just, the Ant-Man movies, Just not really for me anymore and I also never really loved Amanda Walsh to begin with and especially at the end when they bring back, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, Janet, from the Quantum Realm and then she just saves Ghost. That that, that was just a dumb cop-out. Alright, moving on now to the Doctor Strange duology. Doctor Strange, yeah, both of these movies I just thought were fine when I first watched them and then watching them again, I'm like, yeah, they're fine, they're fine. I will say, Multiverse of Madness, thanks to Sam Raimi directing it, he got, you know, to input, you know, he had a lot more input on the camera work at least. Yeah, the script is messy, but, you know, he did the best they could. And he was able to add in some, you know, nice spice with, you know, like the cool visuals. And uh, Doctor Strange has cool visuals as well, but the camera work isn't nearly as inventive. And it's much more of a cliche, you know, kind of origin, superhero origin story kind of movie. I do like at the end, though. Doctor Strange is ultimately better than Multiverse of Madness because that third act where he, you know, does that time loop to trick Dormammu, that's really cool. I really like that a lot. And Multiverse of Madness doesn't have anything that that's that is that cool to me personally. Yeah, so I yeah, these movies, yeah, they're just they're just fine. And I have I have a friend who's a big Doctor Strange fan, and I understand why, but Benedict Cumberbatch with an American accent never worked for me quite as well as him, you know, when he just talking in his natural British accent, you know, when he, in his performances. I feel like his American accent is kind of holding him back a little. Like, he's so concerned about doing a convincing American accent that, you know, like, when he has to be really emotional, he can't fully bring it because he's more, you know, his body or his mind or whatever is more focused on, okay, you need to make sure your American accent doesn't slip. But, yeah, Doctor Strange move duology is fine. If they make a third one... I don't care. I just I, I'm i sorry. I just I don't care. I do think that the next movie on this list is Overhated though, I don't really like it. In fact, I think it's kind of a bad movie, but Some people say that this is the worst movie that the MCU has ever done and I disagree Captain Marvel has some redeeming qualities When Carol is on Earth and she interacts with Nick Fury, that stuff is actually kind of cute. Very charming. The Kree stuff, I couldn't care less about. Even watching it for the first time, it was obvious from the start that Jude Law, there was something with him. You know, like he was going to turn out to be a bad guy or, you know, betray her. Like, I I always kind of saw that coming. Brie Larson is a good actress, but I feel like the character is not really... Very well written, and I feel like the character being so stoic and, you know, oh, serious, kind of holds Brie Larson back. So she can't fully give a compelling performance because the character is meant to be, you know, kind of repressed emotionally. But she does smile, you know. I remember those memes back in the day where in the Captain Marvel trailer, you know, they these dummies CGI, you know, added a CGI smile on her face. You know, they were like, "Oh, she never smiles in the trailer, but she smiles in the movie." So, you know, guys, come on, and and people saying that this movie's the worst, and you know, all these you know trolls out there and misogynistic people who are you know saying that Brie Larson can't act, and you know, and basically people who use this movie as an excuse to be misogynistic. Just, just don't do that. Just, just don't do that. And and also similar to. Like, all the people, all the supposed Star Wars fans that bullied Kelly Marie Tran and Moses Rivera. Like, come on. Grow up, guys. Like, you can dislike the character. The character's all you want. Like, Captain Marvel is not... Carol Danvers is not a very interesting character, but leave Brie Larson of this. Like, don't insult her just because you don't like the character. Don't insult Kelly Marie Tran just because you didn't like Rose in Last Jedi. Same with Moses Rivera for Reva from Obi Wan. I really don't like Reva from Obi Wan, but that's not Moses's fault. That was just a bad script she was given, and she did the best that she could with it. Okay, moving on to another female led movie that I I wish it was better. I actually is it, it, except for her first appearance in the MCU. I actually really like Black Widow. I feel like she got much more interesting as the films went along. Like, she didn't... She wasn't just, you know, like, eye candy. Like, she was in that first... Like, that second Iron Man movie, her first appearance. But, like, later on, she got more interesting. Even, like, the Avengers movies. Yeah, like, Joss Whedon did some questionable stuff. But, I... Like, I, I think Black Widow definitely got a lot more interesting as a character. But, releasing her solo movie... After she died in game is just... It's too late. It's just too late. And this movie was a mess. I like Florence Pugh. And I like David Harbour. Rachel Weiss is just wasted in this movie. And I'm not even sure what kind of performance she was even trying to give. I like the... I like, you know, the whole, like, you know, family... The dynamic of, oh, you know, like, they were a real family. But, you know, like, they still carried by each other and stuff like that's interesting on paper but I just wasn't really delved into that much and the action oh this Black Widow easily has some of the worst action in all of the MCU it looks really rough at times and that really dumb moment of Florence Pugh saying this was fun and Scarlet being like no and then Florence Pugh like Slamming the staff into that machine thing and her flying back from the explosion. Oh gosh People online have made fun of that moment and also the moment where Dracoff Finally dies in that explosion, but his glasses CGI glasses fall off his face. It's like oh yeah, that, <laughs> that looks rough uh, Taskmaster doesn't bother me like a lot of people hated that twist with Taskmaster because of how different it was from the comics. And I don't I don't hate it. It's just, she's just whatever. She's just a whatever character to me. It just felt to me like... Eh. Like, I mean... It doesn't really impact the plot that much to reveal that Taskmaster is House daughter. And also, Olga Corte I forget the act... I don't pronounce the actress's name. But she's a good actress. And you gave her no dialogue. Uh, that's a little disappointing to me. Spider-Man... Far From Home, this is another one that I used to actually, okay, I used to like this movie, so I vividly remember, after Endgame, I really enjoyed Spider-Man Homecoming, and I was so excited for Spider-Man Far From Home, but watching Far From Home and leaving the theater, I looked to my friends, and I was like, that wasn't really as good as I wanted to be, like, it was good, but not, like, Great. I think my, expe- my expectations were too high and my friends even told me that they were like oh maybe your expectations are too high because you know they enjoyed it and I saw all these people online being like oh this movie's great like this is one of the best Spider-Man movies this is one of the best MCU movies and I saw so many people praising Far From Home and I just I didn't really enjoy it that much and I felt like they didn't really take advantage of like the whole globe trotting aspect of it super well there was that really dumb romance between Ned and, and Gory Rice's character. I don't even remember her name. Betty, Betty, Betty. But yeah, that, that was dumb. I Far From Home for me, what, w- there there is stuff about it that really does work, though. Like Mysterio, Jake Gyllenhaal is just hamming it up, and I love it. And Tom Holland and Zendaya have great chemistry. Like them, you know, Peter and MJ just really work for me. Even if you know elements of their plot are cliched for sure and I thought that the action in far from home was actually pretty cool much better than homecoming for sure even if homecoming is the overall better movie but far from home has some really great elements but there's a lot that brings it down for me even when I first watched it but like rewatching it man Nick Fury. Oh boy, yeah, Nick Fury is just so dumb in this movie, and and you know, like I know he's revealed to be a scroll later, but just like he went to space and he didn't even tell, like he brought down the scroll to yeah, I, I don't know, just that just Nick Fury, I just did not like, even if it was a scroll, like the fact that you know Nick Fury. We even thought it was Nick Fury in the first place and you know he did all that dumb stuff. I like the character less now. And last but not least in the Not For Me category is Shang-Chi. I kind of flipped back and forth on Shang-Chi. I watched it first in theaters and I thought it was just okay. And then I watched it a second time on Disney Plus last year I believe with my my family and my family enjoyed it and I think their enjoyment kind of rubbed off of me because I was more forgiving of the flaws. But watching it recently a third time, I kind of reverted back to my opinion from when I first saw it in theaters that, you know, oh, it's just okay. Aquafina doesn't annoy me as much as she does other people, but she doesn't really work for me either. Simi Liu is charming enough. Uh, My favorite character in the movie is actually a sister, but she's just kind of forgotten about in the third act, which is disappointing. There's a moment where you think that Michelle Yeoh and Tony Lung are gonna fight, and I was like, ooh, yeah, I wanna see them fight. Oh wait, no, she's just fighting some generic bad guy and he's just walking away towards the stupid dragon scale thing. Ugh, yeah. The action is actually really cool in this movie, and my favorite scene in this movie easily is the bus scene. I really, really like that bus scene a lot. I it just it's just awesome. Yeah, just this movie, it's its just kind of a generic action movie as well, but there is some really, like, good parts about it, for sure, absolutely, yeah, I just, there's just stuff about it that just doesn't work for me, and I, I do see people online criticize that final, like, third act for being just a big, you know, like, CGI fest, and, you know, like, I get it, I, I do absolutely get it, for sure. And that third act doesn't really work for me either. It doesn't ruin the movie for me. I think what ruins the movie for me, personally, is Trevor Slattery. I'm sorry, but just Ben Kingsley is a great actor. But he as Trevor Slattery will never, never work for me. Just so bad. Just so, so bad. I just, I do not like that character. And we'll we'll get more into him later, but... He brings down the movie a lot for me. I think the movie's actually pretty funny at times with Aquafina, but whenever Trevor Slattery, that that stupid moment where he's like, "Oh, I watched Planet of the Apes, and I was so impressed by how those monkeys could act," and shang is like, "You thought that the monkeys were like acting? You thought that those are actual monkeys?" And like that 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 was stupid. That was just really dumb. I guess that that Morris creature thing that Trevor Slattery was with. was cute. But just not important to apply at all. I, with these movies, I prefer characters. Cute characters that actually have a purpose to be there. Other than just to be the cute character. But yeah, Shang-Chi is fine. I, I think out of all of the not for me. not Out of all the not for me. Movies, Shang-Chi is probably the best one. Yeah, but yeah, Shang-Chi, it, it could have been great. It could have been great. I think Dustin Daniel Cren is a great director, but I think out of all the movies I've seen of him, this is definitely the weakest one. But yeah, that's it for the not-for-me movies. Now we're finally getting into the good stuff. The movies in this next category, Rewatchable, now these movies I really enjoy, and the flaws might bring it down a little bit, but I will always be happy to check them out. Okay, so from here on out, I like or really like all of the movies that I'm going to mention. All of these movies, to me, are extremely enjoyable and I will always be in the mood to watch them. Whenever a friend suggests, oh hey, you want to watch one of these movies? Yeah, absolutely. And just like with the Not For Me category, I'm going to mention these in mostly release order. So first off. Let's start with Captain America, The First Avenger. Captain America, The First Avenger, I remember when I first watched it back in 2011, I thought, eh, it's just it's, it's fine. I really liked, though, the character Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers is still one of my favorite characters in the MCU. I really like Captain America and that scene where he jumps on the grenade in the camp. He's willing to sacrifice himself. And then that foreshadows later where he, you know, drives a plane with the bombs into the ice and you know he has to sacrifice himself and give up going to that dance with Peggy. That's good stuff. And then at the end when he actually survives and he's 70 years into the future and then Nick Fury asks him asks him if he's going to be okay and then he responds with, "Yeah, I just I had a date." And then I cut to black. Oh, so good. So good. I, but I thought that it was just okay because I felt like that there were too many montages and it kind of stuck to the tropes of being a generic superhero origin story a little bit too close and a lot of those flaws still are there. But after watching so many like generic or just poorly made MCU, not just MCU movies, but movies in general, I think like the style. Even if the story sticks to a lot of these generic tropes and cliches a lot of times, like the filmmaking style. Like, Joe Johnston is a good director. Like, he knows what he's doing. So I I enjoyed Captain America The First Avenger a lot more. It's still my least favorite Captain America movie, for sure. But it just worked for me a lot better. I, I just, I really liked it. Now, Captain America Civil War. Captain America: Civil War is an interesting one for me because this, along with Iron Man, the first Iron Man, used to be one of my favorite MCU movies. I used to love this movie, but I also I realized, though, rewatching it that I haven't actually seen it since twenty seventeen or whenever it came out on DVD. I haven't seen it since, and I I, I was rewatching it. And, I thought, huh, there's a lot of this that works, but there's also a lot that doesn't quite hold up. I used to really like Baron Zemo as a villain, but re-watching it, he's not quite as crafty or compelling as I initially thought it was. Like, when I first saw this movie, I thought it was so cool that the main bad guy was just an ordinary guy. I thought that that was so interesting, but I don't know, Rewatching it, it kind of like him just being an ordinary bad guy kind of makes our heroes look a bit weaker and a bit like dumber in a way. And the whole like Sokovia Accords thing, it it kind of like the whole conflict kind of falls flat on its face. When you start to realize, well, wait a minute, wait, William Hurt, rest in peace, William Hurt, Sergeant Ross, is saying that, oh, you know, it's your guys' fault that there's so much destruction and death because of you. And the Avengers easily could have responded with, we were saving your guys' lives. And in the first Avengers movie, you you guys were the ones that sent a nuke to New York City. It's like, just... The, the the argument the whole Sokovian Accords argument just kind of falls apart. It's interesting conceptually, but execution doesn't always work. But there is still a lot about this movie that does work. I think that Black Panther, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman, his character works is much more interesting. He works a lot better as an individual person in Civil War than he does in his own movie. In his own movie. I think that he is really compelling, just a great introduction to that character. You know, Chris Evans, as usual, I like. Scarlett Johansson actually is really plot relevant in this movie and I, you know, like her. And I see some people saying that this movie is definitely overrated. And it's like, I mean, I kind of agree, but I also still just really like this movie. I do think that at this point, and in Age of Ultron, Robert Downey Jr. was starting to phone in a bit like he definitely did not look as interested like he didn't really he didn't start really bringing it as Iron Man again until Infinity War yeah and we'll talk more about how phoned in his performance was uh, when we get to Spider-Man Homecoming but yeah we'll get to that later but let's go back to when he was actually good in Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3 is a frustrating movie for me because there's so much about it that I not just like, but love. I love all this stuff with, you know, this, like, you know, secret, like, kind of conspiracy. And even if Guy Pierce isn't the most compelling villain, like, it was, like, it was interesting because I was so intrigued as to who exactly Ben Kingsley's Amanda was going to be. And then we get that twist. Oh, I'm Jervis Slettery. I'm just an actor. I remember watching that movie with my parents, and my mom laughed. My mom thought that that was so funny. But I don't remember my dad's reaction. I don't remember what my dad's reaction was, but me, my jaw was on the floor. I was shocked. I was like, they're not doing this. No, no, they're, they're not. They're not doing this. Wait, no, there's no way. But they did it, and it's stupid. That twist is the stupidest, one of the dumbest, stupidest things that the MCU has ever done. And it frustrated me so much because I was actually really enjoying like the overall movie. Like, Rebecca Hall coming in is like the, oh, you know, like the former girlfriend. You know, like her is kind of boring. But like, I loved the action. I thought that Don Cheeto was more interesting in this one than he was in Iron Man 2. I really liked the whole PTSD angle of, you know, like, Tony just freezing in fear and just, like, not being sure what to do, you know, like, still dealing with the trauma of what happened in the first Avengers movie. Like, I I really enjoyed all that stuff. That scene where he has to fight off that, you know, those fire goons without his suit. That scene where he has to save all the people falling out of the, you know, Air Force One, you know, it being exploded and all that. Like, I really, really love all of that. Not just like, but love. Oh, it's so cool. And then that twist happens. And the third act, the third act battle of all those fire people fighting off against the Iron Man suits is cool, but I still have a bad taste in my mouth because... Of uh, That stupid twist of Ben Kingsley suddenly being annoying and Guy Pierce, you know, just Becoming even more of a generic dumb bad guy. It's just uh, I just really uh, Really really do not like that twist and it kind of ruins the whole movie for me But the first two-thirds of that movie are so good and And also Pepper Pepper has a much more interesting arc this is easily the best that Pepper has been for sure but just that that third act and that twist just oh uh, it kind of brings the whole movie down but moving on to a movie that actually gets better where the first two acts you know it's kind of shaky but then that third act really hits Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 now there is a bit about Volume Two that doesn't work for me. The Taserface joke—it's funny. A, a lot of the, the jokes in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two are kind of like the jokes in Thor: Love and Thunder. When they're first said, they're initially funny, but then when you say them over and over and over again, it just gets annoying. And that's how I feel now about Taserface and the ripe jokes. You know that it's the when you know Nebula wants to eat the fruit and then but they're all like it's not right it's it just it's funny the first time but the next consecutive few times it just gets annoying same with Taserface. Taserface face first time it was funny but it just gets annoying and there there are not as many jokes like that in guardians too as there are in thor love and thunder but there's enough where it kind of brings the movie down ego those like gold people aren't the most interesting antagonists ego isn't like the most interesting villain like he, he serves the narrative well he, he mainly just serves to help progress Peter's arc which is actually a really good arc of discovering who like his family really is and I think that that's really interesting and I love that argument that line when Peter and Gamora are arguing and Peter says I finally have a chance to find out, you know, who might uh, find my family. And Gamora says, I thought you already did. I was like, ooh, that hits. And the acting, like, Chris Pratt has kind of phoned it in recently. But as Star-Lord, he always brings it. He always will bring it. I really like Guardians of the Galaxy Vol. 2 overall. But the first hour and a half or so, it's kind of shaky. But that third act, that third act really brings everything around. And... Man, like I was watching this movie alone in my room, but I actually cheered when Star the Chain by Fleetwood Mac was playing and Star Lord started beating up his dad, saying, You shouldn't have killed my mom and destroyed my Walkman, and then just starts beating up. Oh, that's so satisfying. That is so satisfying. This movie is Definitely like the weakest of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, but the fact that this movie is still actually kind of great just proves how great the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy is overall. And yes, I do mean the trilogy. That is kind of a spoiler for how I feel about Guardians Volume Three, but we'll get into that later. Now moving on to another, the other twenty seventeen. Actually, no, sorry, there's two. There were three. 2017 mcu movies wow but uh moving on to the other one spider-man homecoming now ever since spider-man homecoming has has come out some people have started clowning on the movies like strange almost like too reliant connections to iron man you know like oh like this version of peter tom holland's version peter barker you know needs like iron man or needs like a mentor figure in order to you know be spider-man and and yeah i i I really like in homecoming when it's just a simple like teen coming of age story or like you know like spider-man is on his own like i really like the third act of this movie because he doesn't have that, you know, that Tony Stark suit or tech. And I, I think that that's the point. That's the point of the story. But still, like, those first two acts, it's a little bit shaky. And it doesn't help that Robert Downey Jr. is really phoning in at this point. Like, he looks like he's not even trying as Tony anymore. Like, Robert Downey Jr. Re- just looks bored. He looks like he just wants out of this franchise. But, yeah, I just... I... I like this movie overall because it, you know, I just I find it endearing, you know, Peter being an actual kid, being played by an actual like young younger person in this movie, it works, and Tom Holland is really really good as his character. I like Spider-Man: Homecoming overall, thanks to the Vulture as well. Michael Keaton really brings it, and that scene where. The vulture tricks Spider-Man and traps him under the rubble. And Spider-Man is call- scared, calling out for help. But then he looks into your reflection and then he realizes no one's coming to help him. He has to get himself out. He lifts up. Oh, I'm going to start tearing Oh, I'm going to start crying. This scene is so good. He starts lifting up the rubble. He's like, come on, Spider-Man. Oh, And he actually does it. Uh, but I really don't like that ending where I like when Tony offers... Peter the suit, but Peter actually turns it down. And that, that cameo from Gwyneth Paltrow was kind of silly, but I really don't like the very end of the movie where Tony gives Peter the suit anyway, and then Aunt May is like, what the fuck? I don't like that. I don't I don't like that. I, I just wish that for the rest of the Tom Holland trilogy that he was just in a regular suit. Like, I'm fine with him, you know, and I'm fine with him getting a Tony- you know, special, Tony built suit again in Infinity War, but like for the other movies, he should have sure just had a regular, you know, hand-sewn suit, and he finally did get that in No Way Home, which I will get to later, like, you, if you notice a pattern that I'm doing on this podcast is I'm kind of, I am going in release order, but I'm also kind of talking about these movies, like, at once, like, you know, all the Ant-Man movies at once, all the, Spider-Man movies at once, whatever, but I want to hold off on No Way Home for now and talk about the third MCU movie that was released in 2017, Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok, which saved Thor. Thor is easily as most interesting in this and Infinity War. Thor Ragnarok is on... Like, uh, people nowadays are... Clowning on Thor Ragnarok for being too funny and, you know, having a very inconsistent tone. But, like, back then, I heard nothing but praise. And I loved it. I think nowadays, some of the jokes... But very few. Some of the jokes do kind of kill the tone. And, you know, like, I wish that there were parts of the story where they just took it completely seriously. But then, all of a sudden, oh no, here's a joke. I think... There are very few jokes like that, but they are unfortunately present. I think overall, though, Taika was able to really balance, though, between the serious and the comedic well. Like that scene where Anthony Hopkins passes away. You know, like the Odin passes away. I actually find that scene really emotional. I, I really, I really do, despite how not really interesting the character has been. And, you know, like Anthony Hopkins has even admitted that he did not enjoy being in these movies. But I just, I I really liked, I thought he was as, I think all these characters really, it may be arguably not Loki, but like all the, but all the other characters were at their most interesting in this movie. Like I think despite Thor getting sillier, I actually think that Taika also brought a lot of depth to him and him You know, he was so eager to be King of Asgard in that first movie, but in the third movie, he's kind of realizing just how much more responsibility there is to it and accepting it a bit more, not like begrudgingly, but like the, the seriousness of it and the fact that his home is gone is, you know, kind of weighing on him more. And then his home and his people would almost be completely destroyed thanks to Thanos and Infinity War, but we'll get into that later, but... Thor Ragnarok works for me overall. I really like Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie. I really like Korg. Ugh, Korg is great. At least until Love and Thunder. Oh boy. Alright, I'm going to stop talking about Love and Thunder because that movie, I'm actually getting bad thinking about that movie. But Ragnarok just, it doesn't work for me quite as well as... It used to back in 2017, but it's also not like a disaster, a tonal disaster like I see some people saying it is. Black Panther. Black Panther is It's the only MCU movie to be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. And I I think that out of all the MCU movies, the fact that this one was nominated for Best Picture, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Ryan Kluger... Did a great job at you know make a uh, having this really interesting story and bringing in this interesting villain Killmonger who's easily one of the best, arguably the best even MCU villain. I think I like Thanos a little bit more, but Killmonger is definitely the more interesting character. But yeah, just like I really like you know like the themes that Kugler is dealing in, and Michael B. Jordan is doing a great job as. Killmonger, all the cast, all the cast members are doing a great job. You know, they like Okoye, I like Sherry, I like just the world. My favorite parts of Black Panther easily are the technical aspects, the world building, the production design, the amazing costumes by Ruth Carter, the amazing score by Ludwig Göransson. I like a lot of the technical stuff. And I think the story is interesting, but there are definitely cracks here and there where you think. There are plot holes that are a little bit more noticeable on rewatch, and also the CGI. The CGI, though, i praised the Technolasterics before, but the CGI, especially in that final third-act battle, it can look really, really bad at times. Like, oof, man. But I think that Black Panther was kind of the start where the cracks start to show in terms of the visuals like you know like people start to notice more like okay yeah like Disney's kind of fumbling with the visuals a bit you know like and and then later we will realize it's because they were working their visual effects to death and being you know an evil corporation that gives their visual effects artists insanely unrealistic timelines so yeah but like there are flaws with Black Panther for sure, and it's just like Thor Ragnarok, I don't love it quite as much as I used to, but I still really like it a lot, and I'll gladly watch it again. But there's quite a bit about this movie that doesn't really work for me anymore, but what, when it works, it really works, especially with Killmonger. I believe that my mom's favorite scene in all of Marvel is the scene where Killmonger's in the spirit realm. He took the herb, and he's talking with his dad, played by Sterling K. Brown. And Killmonger alternates between his kid self and his adult self, and they're having this really deep, intimate conversation where the dad realizes how much of a monster his son has become, and how he was partially responsible for that. But man, just oh, that, this is a really good movie. This is a really good movie, and just like, and I and I cannot do it justice just how good it is even even if it did get a little bit worse like you know like the humor like what are those you know like from sherry it doesn't quite hold up as well i remember though i remember watching a reaction video of this girl like watching black panther and then she said that when she tried to think of flaws. She loved the movie. And when she tried to think of flaws for it. She responded with head empty. And I was surprised though. I was really surprised. You know granted like this girl probably isn't as into like. Movie film analysis as I am. But. I like for me. Even the first time watching it. I did notice some of these flaws. And they just got a little more apparent. On the. On rewatch. And Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman is a great actor. But. Just his character and the MCU is just so boring, and he is unfortunately still boring and a nuisance. And it, the movie would be better without him in Wakanda Forever. Wakanda Forever was dealt a really bad hand by the unfortunate passing of Chadwick Boseman, but I think that Kugler and company did the best that they could and m- succeeded for the most part. Like I, I like that the main characters' movie Shuri, you know, she was. Similar to Better Call Saul, where in Breaking Bad, Bob Odenkirk's character, Saul Goodman, was the comedic side character. But then he got his own show where, you know, he became a much more interesting main character. At least that's why here I haven't seen Better Call Saul, but that's kind of what happened with Wakanda Forever. I mean, even if it wasn't by choice, I'm glad that Kugler went down that route of having Shuri be the comedic main, uh, comedic side character. In the first Black Panther and in the second Black Panther, she has to really deal with her grief, deal with her trauma and come to her own and become, you know, take the mantle of Black Panther. Angela Bassett absolutely deserved her Oscar nomination for this amazing, just brief, but amazing performance. Like her acting, I think that this is easily the best acting out of any actor in the MCU. Like, there's actually been some really good acting, from Zoe Saldana in the Guardians movies, from Robert Downey Jr. in Iron Man 3, Elizabeth Olsen, who was nominated for an Emmy in WandaVision, Oscar Isaac in Moon Knight. There's been some great acting, but Angela Bassett, I think, trumps them all. Her performance is just so phenomenal, and some people would argue that she should have won, and I would have been happy with that, but I'm just glad that she was at least nominated. I think she should have won over Jamie Lee Curtis. For sure. From uh, Everything Everywhere All At Once. But uh, that's a whole other story. <laughs> but yeah. Angela Bassett was... All the, act, all the actors were great in both of these movies. I think that Lupita Nyong'o... I wish that she was in it a little bit more. Because I actually did like her character. She's not the most like interesting three-dimensional character. But I don't know. I think I just like Lupita. But... I really liked what they did with Okoye. Riri Williams, she's fine. I just, you know, I feel like the movie could have been, I feel like, the same without her. But, you know, like, she was fine. Yeah, she was fine, I guess. But I think that considering the bad hands that the people making Black Panther, Wakanda Forever were dealt, I think that they made the best kind of movie that they could. Even if that there's way too many scenes with Martin Freeman and Julia Louis Dreyfus that just drag down the runtime and just I lose interest immediately whenever they show up on screen. Uh, Namor, Namor is a pretty good villain, not as interesting as Killmonger, but still pretty good. It's just yeah, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever is just a good movie. And now Spider-Man: No Way Home. Okay, this is easily the most hyped. That people in general have been for a movie. Since Endgame. For the MCU. I remember the constant number of articles. Prediction videos. All of that social media stuff. Like all of that. Before Spider-Man came out. And especially like within the first like few weeks. Of it coming out. Like there was so much stuff about Spider-Man. Spider-Man. I was more interested in what how Eternals and Thor Love and Thunder how those would turn out. But I was still excited for Spider-Man, especially after that amazing mid-credit scene from Far From Home where it's you know Mysterio reveals Peter Parker is Spider-Man and you know tricks everyone to thinking that he killed a bunch of people, but no Way Home, you know, everybody was predicting like, oh, you know, this is definitely going to be a multiverse movie, so will we see Andrew? Will we see Toby? And I was kind of hoping that they wouldn't show up because I was worried that they would show up and it would just be, you know, oh, like, dumb fan service, but when they showed up, the audience, the, the when Andrew showed up, the people in my audience cheered. They, you know, of course, they were like, yeah! gosh yeah and me i was just sitting there nodding i was just like okay yeah all right yeah uh, i just just accepted colton and you know yeah just hopefully he'll be in the movie you know like well and not just you know for fan service but what's and what's interesting is that when toby showed up dead silence crickets except for one lone man 50s maybe late early like mid to late 50s yelling out when toby showed up you suck and i'm not sure why i think maybe it has to do with the fact that toby is best friends with leonardo DiCaprio, and both of them are known for courting uh, women under a certain age if you get what i'm trying to say unfortunately but but i i I don't know if that's exactly a reason why, <laughs> like, I don't know if like everybody in the theater had that same thought, but like, I found it interesting that people cheered and yelled and even cried when Andrew showed up, but not when Toby showed up, because after watching a movie, I watched like, you know, like reaction videos and stuff, and just like hearing people scream when both Andrew and especially Toby show up. Like I, and I, I thought that that was interesting that the experience of the the people who upload these reaction videos was so different than my experience. But anyway, uh, I thought that the fan service, for the most part, was actually done well. Like, Toby and Andrew actually had a purpose in the story. They weren't just there to be like, oh, hey, remember us from the previous Spider-Man movies? But they actually kind of guided, helped Tom Holland's Peter in a way that was different than how iron man helped uh iron man helped peter or how mysterio helped peter well was tricking him but still you know like pretending to help him but i think that how toby and andrew were brought in they they did a good job i think that the filmmakers were aware that okay like we actually we can't just have them in for fan service we actually like need to like have them you know have give them story relevance and i i can tell that the writers of all of the Tom Holland Peter Barker movies are such obvious fans of Spider-Man. Like, I I can tell that they are. Not every character needed to be in the movie. I think that you could have cut out Lizard and Sandman and it would have been exactly the same movie, honestly. And, like, the actors, Thomas Hayden Church and Rhea Sifons weren't even on set, so, like, yeah, I I think you could have just cut them out. Aunt May passing away... Made, I wasn't like devastated or anything because I feel like we didn't really like get to know Aunt May that well. I feel like we got to know Aunt May a lot better in the original Sam Raimi trilogy more so than, you know, in Tom Holland's trilogy. When she passed away, I was sad, not so much from her dying, but for the fact that the easily the most like loved one, the one that Peter cares the most about in his life is gone. And that's what made me sad. the fact that Peter is hurt by this. and I love that ending. And I really hope that like Sony doesn't do something stupid and like reverse, you know like go back on this. but I love that ending where Peter convinces Dr. Strange to make have everybody forget about him so that the spell can be fixed. and MJ and Ned just completely forget about Peter. And I love that. And I, he's completely alone. He's all on his own. He finally is wearing a handmade, stitched suit. And I love that. I love like how dark it ends and how like there's basically just no hope. There's well, at, le- at least I think that there should be no hope for Peter. He just should just completely start anew as Peter. And they shouldn't try to bring Ned or MJ back. I would. Re- I really hope that Sony doesn't try any BS like that, but. I love, love that ending, and, uh, you know, I've seen some people say that, similar to some of the other MCU movies, and I've seen some people say that No Way Home isn't as good as they thought it was, that, you know, you can really only enjoy it if you're watching it in a crowded theater, and, like, I get where they're coming from, but, like, me watching it at home by myself on my 10 or 11-inch tablet, however big it is, watching it at home, I was, like. No, this movie still really slaps. Like this movie's I, I'm feeling all the feels, or at least most of the feels. It it is definitely too long. It does have flaws. Like the CGI, especially during the mirror dimension sequence, where Doctor Strange and Spider-Man are kind of fighting. The CGI in that sequence, it, it looks pretty rough. It 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 looks it looks pretty rough at times, the CGI. I have no comments on the extended edition or the more fun edition or whatever they call it. Like, I, I just, I have no comments on that. The original theatrical version of No Way Home, to me, still slaps. And now, last but not least, the Scorsese category. These movies, to me, are not just simple theme park rides they actually do provide genuine i don't remember the exact quote that martin scorsese said but like to me these next few movies are amongst my favorite superhero movies and they do provide to me personally genuine psychological experiences or reflections of the human experience they have interesting dynamics that reminds me of real world elements in a good way or they have interesting plots they have interesting arcs for these characters and these characters actually feel to me like real people like i can relate to them as if they are real people to me these movies are the cream of the crop the absolute among the absolute best that superhero media has ever provided i just i love all of these movies so much and I'm going to start out with one that may get worse after a rewatch because I just watched this one. It's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now, I'm not going to say any spoilers for this movie. All the other movies on this list, I'm going to spo- I've spoiled, and I'm going to spoil. But this movie, since it just came out last week. This is the only one that I will not say anything about. Except for my thoughts on it. I'm not gonna mention anything about the plot, I'm not gonna mention anything about whatever happened to who. All I'm gonna say is that, yeah, there 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 may be a recency bias with this, but Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I loved it. I went with two friends who were much colder on the movie than I than I am. They Thought it was just okay, they didn't really enjoy it as much, and I see on Rotten Tomatoes too, you know, like, critics aren't really enjoying it as much, and there's some audience members as well that don't, like, love it as much, and I, I get it. This movie is dark, this movie is a lot, like, easily one of the darkest MCU movies that we've gotten ever, like, there's some stuff in this movie that actually could be traumatic if you're a little kid, or, like, really sensitive to animal cruelty. There's some really dark stuff that happens to this movie. And if you don't like it, if you can't handle it, I get it. I absolutely get it. And I will talk more. I am planning on doing a spoiler-filled podcast episode on Just Guardians 3 later this month. But and but for me, for me personally, like I, this movie's not perfect. There are definite flaws that I will talk about later. But for me, this movie is exactly the type of movie that I needed right now. I said in the intro that I've decided to not watch any more MCU movies following this one. I have decided to at least take a break from the MCU for a while. I was really hoping, I was a little worried about the kind of mixed uh, reception to this movie, and I was really hoping that. This movie would be, like, even if it's not a perfect movie, it would be the perfect ends for me. It would be the perfect ends for this 15, 16 year long journey that I've been on with the MCU. And thankfully, it was. Again, not a perfect movie, but just I I, I cried, I smiled, I cheered. I was just, I. this movie was just everything to me, and I'm so happy that Disney rehired James Gunn to finish his iconic trilogy. Guardians of the Galaxy is the most consistently great series of movies focusing on a specific character or group of characters in the whole MCU. Like, I think it's easily the best, even if there are other movies that are better than Volume 2. But Volume 3, it may go down in quality late on a rewatch i don't know but just after watching it i'm just like i'm i'm too happy with it to really take any of, it, any of its flaws super seriously that's guardians of the galaxy volume 3 the first guardians of the galaxy i think is better it the, it's basically in terms of just the guardians of the galaxy movies from worst to best 2 3 and then 1 That first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, it quite literally changed my life. It changed the way that I view superhero content. That and the other 2014 MCU movie, Winter Soldier. Those two specifically made me take the world and the characters of the MCU more seriously. Like Before before watching Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy, of course I was a fan of the MCU. And I was a fan of superhero media in general, but kind of more in a casual way. Like I didn't really, aside from Tobey Maguire and the original Spider-Man movies he was in, I didn't really view the superhero characters as kind of real people. Like I couldn't sympathize with them in that level. But all that changed with Winter Soldier, which is much more grounded to me than anything that I've seen a superhero movie do before. And Guardians of the Galaxy, where despite taking place on alien worlds, the interactions between these characters felt more human than anything that I've seen in an MCU movie. Yeah, there were still the tropes of, you know, a lot of jokes, you know, like CGI overabundance in the final third act battle, you know. Yeah, there's definitely tropes like that, but Guardians of the Galaxy and Winter Soldier changed the way that I viewed superhero movies forever, and they still remain among my favorite superhero movies of all time. And now Iron Man. The one that started it all. Like I mentioned before, Iron Man used to be my favorite MCU movie of all time. This used to be number 1. And it's not quite there anymore because you know, some of the people on the comp, some of the other people, you know, online have commented that the third act is really dumb you know like Jeff Bridges was kind of like you know like they, they kind of not ruin this character but you know he's just like ooh, like I'm a big bad guy in a big you know like silver suit now and I'm gonna destroy kill you all you know whatever and I was much more forgiving of that movie as a kid because as a kid you know what I was more concerned about these superhero movies was oh just cool you know badass action Nowadays, thanks to mostly thanks to Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm much more concerned with the character dynamics and interesting plots of these movie of superhero, not just superhero movies, movies in general. But like, you know, back then with superhero movies, like, you know, like I didn't care if the plot wasn't as great, if I still saw some cool action. And Iron Man, Iron Man still really holds up. In its plot in the first two acts. But that third act does kind of drop the ball a bit. By having action that goes on a little bit too long. And it's just a little bit too goofy. And that third act. Kind of fumbling the ball. Is the reason why Iron Man is not my favorite MCU movie anymore. But as an overall film. I still love it. I still absolutely love it. Robert De- This is a movie that brought out Robert Downey Jr. from. You know. Not obscurity, but, you know, like he had a lot of, like, legal troubles and all that. And this is the movie that kind of saved him and saved his career. And I think that that's great. I think that he really deserves it because it seems like he really did turn his life around. And he's, he's just, like, Tony Stark is, I'm not sure if he's my favorite character in the MCU anymore, but he's definitely, like, top three. Like, he and Steve... Yeah, he and Steve are top three. My number one might be one of the Guardians, but... No, actually, I take that back. Tony Stark is still my favorite character in the MCU. I just... I love this character so much. And that's thanks to John Favreau, Robert Downey Jr., Marvel, and just this movie in general. Just fantastic, fantastic movie. Still one of my favorites, even if it's not my number one favorite anymore. And last but not least... Let's talk about the Avengers movies. I already talked about how Age of Ultron is kind of a huge mess now even if it does have some redeeming qualities, but the other 3 Avengers movies. So, that first Avengers movie felt like a huge event. It like I remember talking about with my friends about how cool it was going to be to see Iron Man Captain America, Thor, you know, all these different characters from these different movies coming together. And, you know, like I thought about how cool that that would be, you know, to see them kick butt and all that. And it was cool. And I still really like that movie to this day. It has one of the simpler plots of any MCU movie, but it still really works. It still really holds up, even if the man who directed it is not a good person. But anyway, so... Infinity War and Endgame, though. Now, ever since that first Avengers movie, it's it's been clear that the MCU has been building up to an eventual showdown with Thanos. Even if not everybody knew that, it, that who Thanos was, or that it was Thanos in that post-credits scene in Avengers. But, yeah. But, like, when it was announced that Thanos would finally show up in Infinity War and Endgame, I remember... The huge like anticipation level for Endgame, and the even bigger anticipation level for- I mean, sorry, the huge anticipation level for Infinity War, and the even bigger anticipation level for Endgame. People were excited for Infinity War, people were like so interested, people were like, Ooh, like, what's now gonna be like? I vividly remember watching Infinity War in the theater. Now, again, like I said before, I've, n- I've never read the comics. I've never read the comics, I didn't know anything about them and I was so used to seeing these heroes win. In every one- Even if not everything worked out in the end, ultimately they did win, they did defeat the bad guy. But in Infinity War, when Thor failed to stop Thanos, when Wanda failed to stop Thanos, and he said, you should have gone for the head and snapped. My jaw was on the floor. Not like, though, in Iron Man 3, where I was shocked at how bafflingly stupid the plot was getting. But I was shocked that they were actually doing this. That Disney was actually allowing this. That the heroes were about to lose. I was so, so, not excited, but I was so, like, interested. You know, like, I, my... Jaw was on the floor, I was leaning forward in my seat. I was like, wait, is this actually happening? And the reactions from the people in the theater, people in the theater were also like quiet as hell and just shocked, just absolutely quiet. And people were just like, wait, no, is this really happening? And then the gasps and then the cries, the oh no's when Spider-Man started saying, I don't wanna go. And then getting, and everybody getting dusted. And then the melancholy, amazing Alan Silvestri score coming in. And that final shot of Thanos sitting on the porch of his house, smiling, content, staring at the beautiful sunset. And then it the cuts to black. And all of us in the theater were like, wait, what? That actually happened? And people all around the world reacted in that same way after Infinity War. Well, aside from a couple of uh, people that I know in my personal life. Yeah, there were a couple of people in my personal life who were like, well, it's obvious that they're going to come back anyway. But I mean, I didn't know that. I didn't know back in 2018. I didn't know if they would really come back or not. I mean, yeah, it was announced that even before Endgame came out, it was announced that there would be another Black Panther. There would be another Spider-Man. But... I didn't know if that was gonna be like an alternate universe thing or like, you know, if they were gonna come back I didn't know and I wanted to know Endgame, man Endgame, I don't know if you guys remember, but so many ticket selling sites froze and briefly like shut down because of just how bad the online traffic was getting from people as soon as tickets were going on sale everybody was getting on it and I'm so I I got lucky that like I was able to get the tickets right away. Out of all the times when I've went to the movie theater with friends, Endgame is easily one where the most group of biggest group of friends gathered. Like I think there were like seven or eight of, or eight of us, and it, that was an event. People were dressed up, people were ready, people were excited, and I remember how hard it was to avoid spoilers for Endgame. And Thankfully I was able to avoid spoilers except for one thing the only thing that got spoiled for me from Endgame was I went on YouTube the day before I was a gonna see Endgame opening weekend with my friends and the first thing I saw in my YouTube recommended feed was a video saying Cap wields Mjolnir and I was like no Ugh. But thankfully I didn't get spoiled for anything else and just like how I mentioned that right now, Guardians 3 is kind of the perfect movie that I needed in terms of my farewell to the MCU. Four years ago, Endgame was a perfect movie that I needed to conclude this arc, the Infinity Saga arc, against Thanos. This movie is not perfect by any means. Endgame, I think, I used to like Endgame more than Infinity War, now it's kind of reversed. But, man, this movie is still just so satisfying. Just There's so much stuff in Endgame that happens that I actually was predicting. I remember, beforehand, all of the people that I went to the theater with, all my friends that I went to see Endgame with, they all predicted that Cap was going to die and Tony would retire. But I said, no, guys. And some of these guys have been on my podcast. I said, no, guys. I think that actually it's gonna be the other way around. I think that Iron Man's gonna die. I think that Captain America is uh, going to retire somehow. And I didn't know exactly how they would die or retire, but I had a feeling. I was like, well, I wasn't entirely sure, but I thought, oh, that would be so cool if it did happen this way. And then it did, and I was like, I'm right? And then I realized, wait, oh no, I'm right. Iron Man's about to die. Oh, no. But the way he died, it was so satisfying from a character arc perspective. You know, him starting out in this first movie being so selfish and arrogant. And then him literally killing himself, basically, to save the entire universe. Him, though, like, grabbing all the stones and then saying, I am Iron Man and snapping, ugh, chills down my spine every time I watch this movie. Yeah, the with many of the Marvel movies, I've watched them only once in the theater and then once at home. But with the movies in the Martin Scorsese category, I've watched them numerous times. None of them, I, I don't think any of them I've watched like 10 times. Like not that often, but enough where I like—I love them every time. Like I never get bored of them. Ugh, oh, just so good. So, so good. Endgame, it's so satisfying. I don't care if the Steve, you know, becoming old at the end, like breaks time travel rules. I just don't care. It's still satisfying to me to see him dance with Peggy. I just, I love this movie, and I just, I, it, it made me so happy to back in twenty nineteen to be a fan. And I remember after Endgame came out, I was actually like, there. Were, I, I heard some people saying that. They were, you know, they would be content with Endgame being the final MCU movie. And I thought, no, like, I think Endgame maybe was so good that it set my expectations up too high. I thought, you know, like, I had even higher expectations for Far From Home. I had higher expectations for Black Widow or Phase 4. I think maybe Endgame set my expectations up too high. And I think that's why I feel so burned out, kind of jaded now for Marvel, and why I feel like I need to take a break. Yeah, well that's it. Yeah, that's all my thoughts on the Marvel movies. Man, this is this is this was fun actually. Even though I'm by myself, this was fun. And I am even though I am leaving the MCU, I do still consider myself a fan of the MCU. I commend Kevin Feige and Marvel for even being able to pull this feat off this seemingly impossible feat of being able to craft, create a shared cinematic universe. That should be impossible. And we we see that it actually is because we've seen other studios try to do it and fail miserably. But they were able to pull it off. And like I'm grateful to these Marvel movies for overall helping me to be able to appreciate superhero media as more than just you know simple fun harmless entertainment like i i view many of these characters i can relate to them on a more personal level view them as real people and i will remain a fan of the mcu even if i'm not going to check out blade or deadpool 3 or daredevil born again or kang dynasty or whatever they're making next even if i'm not going to watch that stuff i still will gladly rewatch many of the previous MCU properties. And I'm so glad that I got to end this 15-year-long journey with Marvel on a high note with Guardians 3, which I will talk about more in a future podcast episode. But yeah, I, I guess that's it. I want to thank you guys for listening to another episode of my podcast, Podcast Racing. Uh, I hope all of you guys are doing well. And uh, please let me know what your favorite and least favorite uh, MCU movies are. I'm actually really curious to hear that. Uh, thank you guys again for listening. And I'll see you guys uh, hopefully, uh, definitely soon actually. Because I do have some stuff planned that I will release later this month. So yeah, see you guys soon. Bye. Now this is podcast. Cast.